Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okie I, I think that just about uh, covers it. Why? Why not take a shot of new shorts blaster? Huh? It's guaranteed to wipe out feather fungus in even the most active crotches. Shorts blaster. Well, we're waiting. I was over there. Now I'm over here. That's a professional. Get a light, will you, Peter? Papa Gijo. You're a filthy woman. You're kind. Corn. 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 Ever see a guy say goodbye to a shoe? I hate this place. Nothing works here. The medications don't work. It stinks. Who are the odd wizards who came up on this one? Double A, MCO. But it comes with a free froget. That's good. My wife is home. These bleeds? He does bleeds, yeah. This is crack. Welcome, everybody, uh, to whatever this is. I'm Frank Bonacci. I, the, the, let's call it, let's call it, let's give it a name. The Zoning Out Comic-Con Blowout Extravaganza Festival mm-hmm. thing. There it is. I'm Frank Bonacci, and I'm joined by my Zoning Out co-hosts, John Sachs and Christopher Feinstein. We Hi. just, me and John, uh, had a wild adventure at Comic-Con. So let me just bring you up to speed how this all happened. So Chris, months ago, was like, you know, I'm going to put in for press, press pass it for Comic-Con. And it never even occurred to any of us to do that. Chris did it, and then I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. I should have did it, too. And he's like, you're an idiot. You should have did it, too. He, like, literally said that. So I put in like really late, I think like last month. And it came through, which was like, holy shit. See, but the thing is, Chris didn't put in, they give you a bunch of boxes to tick. Like, what are you going there for? Are you going for, you know, content, blah, blah, blah. I put, I clicked interviews. Chris didn't do that. No. And the difference between clicking for interviews and not clicking for interviews is the difference between shooting a bolt and throwing one. It's insanity. If you hear coughing, that's why my wife has pneumonia. Just so you know, everybody. Like keep her in your prayer. Keep her in your prayers. She really does. Like it's like not a joke. Like she, she might. We might lose her. 
I mean, no, you won't lose it. I'm just kidding, honey. What the fuck? That's pretty good. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, all right. So I put it for interviews. And what happens is every PR firm, and it's like it's kind of like an expanded version of what I've been going through by doing interviews you know, via Zoom. I have a bunch of PR firms that like send me regularly send me stuff. Literally like 50 sent me poten- interview potentials. I'm like, uh, uh, I clicked literally everything. I said yes to everything, which is dumb because you really can't. So the way it shook out was like, oh, you want interviews? Oh, you got interviews. I'll tell you something. This is a little fun trick. I want people to know this. And I, I had a discussion with this with my friend Carmine. If you ever are, you want, you're looking at a PR firm who's going to promote at a Comic-Con, ask them when they send you that stuff, when they're going to send out like the notices to people, like for possible interviews. Because if you're early, you're good. There's people sending you stuff to like two days before the event. If you're press and you know, you, you're a press of any, you know, of any merit and skill like myself and John and, and Chris here. No, I don't interview anybody. Yeah. Don't, don't throw, don't let loop me in with you guys. I don't know the first time, but hi, how's, how's it going? <laughs> well, that's what I do. So John's there. So I, uh, you no, know, so, so if you're pressed, like, cause there's people sending it, it's like, I've already made my schedule. So it's, if you're just throwing me at the, at, like, you know, towards like really close to the event, there's no point. It's just like, what are you doing? This is how it finally shook out. I was supposed to go to uh, a round table for all mankind. It's uh, season four of this show made by Ronald D. Moore, from, uh, Battlestar Galactica and, and Star Trek fame. I couldn't make it uh, on account of some personal business. I couldn't, uh, just couldn't make it. The PR people, let me tell you something. I don't, I don't know what my, I didn't have a very sunny, like most people view of PR people. Like when you say PR people, you go, ew, those people are jerks. Every PR person I've ever dealt with down the line since I've been doing this has been the nicest, genuinely nicest and uh, accommodating person I've ever met. Like they're very nice people that they usually staff these things with. Like hug your PR people today. Genuinely, I'm surprised by that. I thought they'd all be like scumbags. They're all nice. Like down the line, I've never had like, like, anything uncomfortable and i talk to them a lot because like you know when i'm setting up interviews you're going back and forth and they're very nice people so i couldn't make that you should all check that out it's on apple tv for all mankind great show uh it's a great cool you know what the premise is chris mm-hmm. it's speculative science fiction in if we in it's 1969 and the russians beat us to the moon it's showing you an alternate history where we're like okay we have to catch up mm-hmm. so the space race just kept it going hey so each season is kind of standalone-ish and it takes place each a different decade. It's almost an anthology. Each season's like a new decade. Huh. Uh, have, when since that happened, very good show. Check it out. Thank you for sending me screeners, everybody. Uh, the people behind Apple TV sending me screeners. Uh, sorry I couldn't make the pa- uh, the roundtable interview. Uh, it sounded great. So it's yeah. like an entirely different The Man in High Castle. Yes, <laughs> which is also from Apple TV, isn't it? No, I think that was Amazon. Amazon, yeah, they're all the same. <laughs> But check out for all mankind. Cold now. So, but my first interview was for this show on HBO Max called Scavengers Reign. And it went like this. And those interviews were with co-creator and executive director, Joe Bennett. Executive producer, Sean Buckaloo. Buckaloo. I hope I got that right. Executive producer, James Merrill. And supervising director, Benji Brook. Enjoy. I enjoyed this. This was a lot of fun. So, is this your first time at Comic Con? Yes. It's a lot, huh? <laughs> yeah, although I feel like we haven't done the floor yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We 
you sort of got taken through the nuclear bunker. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's intense. The first time we were just talking about that, it's like, and this is an unusually intense Thursday, from my experience. Like, yeah, it's like, whoa, this is like Saturday traffic almost. Yeah, unusual. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Joe Bennett. Joe Bennett. Sean Buckley. Which way you guys want to start? Yeah, go. Go to the counter. So, Joe, my question is for you. Um, based off the acclaimed sci-fi short scavengers, you created Recall on the 2016. How did the idea come about to spin it into a full series, and how has the story evolved? Um, it started with, uh, I was just interested in kind of the visual narrative that had the dialogue and watching the process of um, these characters uh, kind of figure out a sort of Rube Goldberg machine and, on this planet. So it was making up this nature and, and creating this world. And I, I think that was ultimately uh, the, the, the main challenge. And then kind of building this art that, that was trying to do it without any dialogue. Um, and so you'd watch them kind of go through these trial and errors. Moving into the series, I think it was like taking a lot of, cherry picking a lot of inspiration from the planet that the short was based off of, but then adding sort of these uh, additional, um, you know, characters and and then kind of giving more of a backstory and, and all that stuff. And then eventually these, these um, the story arcs kind of thread in between, you know, later on and that sort of thing, but yeah. <laughs> I was I watched the short when it first came out and I loved it. Uh, there's a very heavy Rene Lelouch that feel to it and uh, Mobius and I was just like, uh, uh, what other influences are that came from this? Uh, I think like Satoshi Khan. So I was about to say Satoshi Khan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I swear to God, I was. <laughs> Atoma, obviously. Um, you know, but but I think a lot of inspiration also came from like live action. Yeah, I think the, the like animation touchstones I feel like are just like in the back of our head because we were fans of that forever. Mm -hmm. But then when we were actually building the story, I felt like other things started to come up, like David Cronenberg movies and and Sorcerer, this William Friedkin movie. You have to tell me about Sorcerer. I saw that at the Alamo. That's yeah. just the best. So I think I think that it was like, and I think, I mean, we've been talking about this a little bit. I think we talked about it, you know, like that, like Manchester by the Sea was something that we talked about. Very odd, very serious drama, but just that it, I think it was like we wanted these these characters to feel very real. So when we were thinking about like a character going through grief and dealing with guilt and grief, it was like, oh, Manchester by the Sea is actually what we're sort of like thinking about or talking about. Also, I mean, I, we should have mentioned this in the panel, but there was a there's a YouTube channel called Primitive Technology. Yes where it's a guy that lives out in New Zealand, he doesn't talk the entire time, and he basically like builds things in the woods, and you see him do it from start to beginning, like from beginning to end. So it'd be like thatched hut, or like a like a kiln where you pull it and it like makes the fire get bigger. And it'll be like, yeah. it'll be like a Korean hut that's like influenced from the Korean hut. Right, so he'll just do research, so it's sort of just all these like, like whatever, earlier civilizations, you know, shelters, but, but it's, very ASMR-y, no dialogue, you're just seeing the process. And That's a whole subgenre on YouTube that I'm a, a huge fan of. Like people, like Deborah. well I'm on hours, I'm, that's my wife's name, that's for you people. That, Deborah. like Deborah. I'm on hour six of a guy cleaning a wrench. Like I'll watch, I, it's very soothing. I, and then they talk, skip. When I hate when they talk. Do not ruin this for me. Yeah, so that was a big part of our early deck of like, 
we made this kind of like Joe edited together this video inspiration reel, and I would say that that maybe points to the kind of like diversity of the inspiration. There's like some stuff from a documentary about mushrooms, and then it's something from Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, or There Will Be Blood, and then it's this guy making a thatched hut, and it's you know just these little. And I think even for shot composition of like oh hands coming into the frame really close, like how do these places figure out how to make these things visually dynamic? And, and what is an establishing shot from a Terrence Malick movie looks like? Yeah. You know, like breaking kind of right. sort of. Yeah, it's that instructing the, like, look at how they shot Lawrence of Arabia. You can go really wide. Like, don't be afraid to do that because I think your animator instincts make you want to put things on a stage. But, like, take inspiration from things that actually, uh, I don't know, treat the staging. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like Leone, like, he would just stage things, like, in the wide and then boom, right into that insane close up. It's like, ah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love the wide shots. And it was so detailed. I watched the first couple episodes and I love the devotion you give to each set of characters. Timing is so key. How did, you're welcome. How did you want to put into that the focus of making sure the timing felt right? I mean, for how much time we spend in each story? Yes, going, and going back and forth. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I felt like it was... It was um, I mean, to me, it was useful because I felt like in writing it, you could kind of have these natural in-and-out points. Of, you've got three kind of disparate storylines that you're dealing with at any given moment. And that, I don't know, it allowed you to do kind of like, each arc could be sort of simple, but then when you try to think about the moment where maybe all three climax at the same time, just I think that was when we tried to be like, how can that thematically relate, or what are you trying to like like build up to? Um, A lot of just like, what is the intention for this shot? Like, let's try to, we were sort of like, how do you trim fat on something later on? And it's like, okay, well, if you can like distill the significance of each thing as much as you can, even if it's kind of ambiguous and, you know. Yeah, and this uh, is actually, Benji had a very big guiding principle, uh, Benji, this reprising record, of like always like coming in and out on each storyline with something exciting. Like the, the first shot and the last shot should always be a fun transition. And I felt like it was just, and then it's like extrapolate that to every, you know, like each little set piece, but then also obviously the beginning and the end of the episode, you know, so I felt like it was a fun, um, I don't know, but I think that actually made our jobs easier where I feel like if you had to have this same show, but it stuck with just one plot line, that would that would actually be more of a challenge. So I felt like it was it was fun to have it be. Um, you've got these completely characters that aren't aware of each other in completely separate places. Like just allowed for kind of like this storyline can be one thing that's completely different from what this. In this storyline, it's all threatening, and this storyline is kind of chill or whatever. You know. Yeah. How do you find that balance exactly between not only that, but I, the, what I just saw before. Um, between that survival mode and the actual adaptation like that, mm -hmm. the willingness actually to adapt to the place right. beyond the actual choice, I'm going to try to, to survive today. I mean, I think that was a lot of conversations early on about each character having kind of a, I think at least at the very beginning, kind of a fixed perspective on, I think we talked about it a lot, just, I mean, running like thought experiments of if you were trapped on an island or whatever, would you want to, like, live your best life there and just say, well, this is my life, so I just have to adapt. And look, I can chill in the sun and it's fine. Or is your entire thing I need to get off the planet? Or do you think I'm just going to kill myself? You know, <laughs> that it's like, do you just go immediately to despair and whatever? And, and, and then, you know, with that, simultaneously, you have this kind of, uh, this, the nature on this planet, which is like a bit unforgiving, a bit merciless. And, and in a lot of ways, there are some characters that are sort of resisting that. They're 
um, you, you see in the pilot that there's like a little bit of a, a footprint that they're doing that's kind of has an effect on the planet and you'll see later on that there's these kind of like repercussions that come from that and there are some characters that resist it and then there are other characters that kind of understand that there's like sort of a flow you know there's like a Gaia spirit or whatever that, that is a part of this planet and if you can kind of go with that rhythm and that flow um, and you, you sort of embrace it uh, are you open minded to change and transformation or are you closed off and we just want to go back to the way things were. We talked about that, and I think it's like, in thinking about that, it was fun just because it's this story about them on this exotic planet. But then when we talk about it, it can just be humans talking about just kind of like, what feels true to me and my life and my experience? So I'm trying to inject as much of that into, we know that it's going to involve like crazy creatures and, and, and weird things. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me was the sound. The sound was immaculate. Oh, yeah. And I guess that's really important being that like the miniseries, uh, short was originally like uh, like no there was no talking yeah. so I guess uh, adapting it into like the full series and now having voice the, the sound still really makes an impression I guess how was it working on the sound great we worked with this guy Axel um, and he was phenomenal I mean he did such a great job um, I think it was a lot of like just because it's an animated show um, wanting to get as much tactility out of things and understand like like the texture when a when a person like in the trailer when he's rubbing his hand against the tree you want to like feel what that tree is like what it and uh and well i was gonna say and this is something that joe would often encourage and joe was was directing a lot of the sound in very particular ways but i feel like it was sort of like i remember there being a lot of like subvert the expectations of what the thing might be so if it's a huge thing it doesn't necessarily make a bell like it's like trying to be like it's not exactly what you'd expect just trying to do something kind of interesting with each thing of like no it's got a unique sound that you know I don't know yeah like like don't just go with the default sort of sound that you would think this thing makes like I mean just there's a lot of referencing from just nature that that already exists I mean we ran into a funny thing where it was like it was almost nearly impossible to come up with something in nature like in this planet that doesn't already exist in nature in some form or fashion whether it's like the look volume the sounds it's it's kind of there so we were sort of like all right well let's just cherry pick from a lot of that stuff and it's like the build of a certain creature i mean um you know we talked about like i mean even just the sound design in jurassic park where it's like okay the velociraptors that was from an elevator door you know aluminum foil ripping i mean it was like really like let's Let's kind of explore that in a huge way and not just hit like, this is a lion roar, this is right. a whatever. For uh, just an example, in a later episode, there's a sort of predatory creature, but the main inspiration was like a music box. So it's like a ballerina music box, just because we're like, oh, it like has this tantalizing sound, yeah. makes it disarms you, but then it's like a creature that'll fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, 12 episodes. Yeah. How does this emotional journey for you guys mirror the emotional journey that people are going to go identical. on for the 12 episodes? Identical. It's dark. Yeah. It's dark. Identical yeah. dark journey. Yeah. Yeah. What, how, like, how long is production on like a, an episode? Uh, it all waterfalls, so it's not exactly... Right. Yeah, but I would say, I mean, it was about a year and a half end to end for 12 episodes, but um, I don't know, I mean... It, it, it's tough, but then it's also, I think, the joy of it is, I mean, working with all these artists who surprise you and kind of go above and beyond that, I mean, by the end, like, I feel like you can write something and just know that it's going to be carried in such a in such a faithful, interesting, surprising way, but I don't know, I mean, I felt like there were so many moments of joy of 
you're working on an edit and it's tough, it's not working, and you're like, are we all frauds? This all sucks. And then it's like when it comes together, that's such a gratifying feeling. I don't know. Like that's what makes you go like, oh, I want to do this forever. It's, it's, it's are you amazed that you got something so heady, so contemplative out there in a time where things that require thought and analysis are fewer and far between? Like, how did you pull this magic trick off? I, I mean, there were so many times where it felt like it wasn't going to happen. I mean, there were so many hurdles. I mean, this, this whole thing started in, like, 2016, so it was, like, just, you know... I, I, Amazing. I can't believe you guys pulled but, it off. But, but, but I would say that, like, a big part of it was just kind of, like, it was... For me, like a personal goal was like, I like the idea of trying to convince my friends that don't typically watch animation. You know, that like, that was just an exciting thing. Like, this is, this this medium can be so much, it can be so many different things. And, yeah. and, uh, and I should also say that Max was so supportive of what we wanted to do that that could have been really a difficult part yeah, of the process. Could, yeah. They were such allies and gave, like, just fantastic and like, supportive of us trying to do the, this thing in the exact way that we wanted to do. So that made it a lot easier work. If somebody just didn't get the initial premise of the whole thing, that could have been a, a nightmare. And so we were really lucky with that we got to work with it. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations, guys. You guys are great. Thank you, guys. Hello. Hey, This is like speed dating. Yeah. <laughs> you got to live up to that tape. to the creation of the series. James was in the writer's room and I came on board after episode one of actually the crack. So I mean a variety of inspirations for me personally, the sci-fi film Solaris. Uh, I say Solaris too, I swear to God. Magnetic Rose, uh, Sorcerer, which is like in a you know William Friedkin kind of similar uh, narrative structure of it's a cast of characters you don't know much about going to a point and and converging. Um, let's see what else. The film Manchester by the Sea, which is not a sci-fi film, actually was a big inspiration that we talked about a lot. Twenty years later, they brought up Manchester by the Sea, and it's like the best pitch for a movie <laughs> I've heard ever. Because it's like, okay, I'll see Manchester by the Sea already. Oh so you've been over this film already, yeah? Yes, yeah. it sounds right. Um, yeah, that, that's all. Jurassic Park was a big one. Yeah, and just kind of like our favorite, I would say, adventure type of stories, but also just like films in general uh, and trying to put them into our language and form and tell a compelling story. And what's so fun, I mean, everybody from the storyboard artists to the compositors are all science fiction fans. And what was so fun about this was just playing against type in a lot of ways, like trying to do things with this story that had the trappings of science fiction, but it was really just like, like Solaris, it's like a human story and being as human about it as possible. And um, I don't know, there's just so there's just much fun stuff to draw with science fiction, but in the end, all we wanted to really draw was really, you know, human characters. It's like the best science fiction is like when it's using the trappings of the genre to actually sneak in stories. Like Solaris is about memory, but it's like, well, well how do we explore that? We make a sentient planet that, that you know, that brings memories to life. 
I love the steady beat music in this, oh, yeah. the rhythm of it. What did you want to accomplish and have accomplished with the music on this show? Well, that's our friend Nicholas Snyder, is a complete like savant genius composer that we love. Um, but yeah, it was. I would. We were just talking about this. Uh, where kind of the different departments all work together in conjunction. Where the writing room would be inspired by the artist's work, would be inspired by, you know, I would say the me- the music would be the third element of that, where he would be working and sending us kind of works in progress that would just, like, we could suddenly see a path forward, you know, based on, like, just his, his rough works. And, um, yeah, I don't know what he's inspired. We, you know, we're both music nerds, so whenever I talk to Nick, we go into pretty deep holes, but specifically for Scavengers, I don't know what he was pulling from other than it worked and whatever <laughs> alchemy it was is incredible and inspiring. We were just as stunned as probably like you guys and the viewers were listening to it. But similarly like playing against type or like playing against like expectations of science fiction would be it's very subtle, it's very slow. I mean it is a steady steady beat, but it's like a I don't know, a subtle treatment of the music soundscape that I is a nice counterpoint to the very subtle storytelling of the show. And uh, there's a lot of beautiful themes that come and go, where each character has their own theme, and those themes often interweave or change as the characters are changing over the course of the season. Uh, there's a lot of some, just sophisticated things that Nick is doing that we're all extremely inspired by in the whole process. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so ideas of, of grief and uh, loss, like the things, the, the big goal for the making of the show was always to just make Joe cry and while we were making it, like in storyboards or animation, and, and, I, and I was really overcome with emotion in a particular scene in episode 10, just watching the storyboards, because it felt like it was tapping into something that I was going through at the time and things that were going on in my family and I don't want to get into spoiler territory but that's 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 the material that I feel most inspired by is when it does echo something that you're going through or an artist that's working on the show is going through and I don't know you're not dealing with something personal with the work or having a personal stake in the work there's no reason to do it at all and I don't know it just had I don't know I was very lucky to, to be able to you know process a lot through the process of making the show. That's the best stories are the yeah. ones you can identify with emotionally yeah. in that kind of a way. And I love how detailed the animation is on this show. What blows you away about the detail work that goes into close ups and the wide show? Well I said it in the panel but I, I one thing that always surprises me is that when you let an artist spend an extra 10, 12 hours or a whole week working on a single shot, the effect is subconscious on the viewer. It's, it just adds this like textural detail that you, is lost in a lot of TV animation today. And it's why people love Miyazaki movies, Satoshi Kon movies, is because there's that care put into every single piece of animation. And it's very, it's, it's, it's always possible to do something simpler. But if you put that extra effort in, it, it crackles with specificity and it makes the audience feel like I'm looking at something I don't know, that's hitting on your cerebral cortex like on your reptile brain and 
Uh, it's really satisfying to see. Uh, we had a lot of designers and animators that are overachievers too. Yeah. <laughs> really wanted to. Uh, one in particular, uh, a board artist that we would throw sequences that were problematic, and they would come back fully articulated, super highly detailed backgrounds, tons of poses for the character with just like spot on character acting and animation, and, and a lot of the credit just goes to like how talented our team was. I can't stress that enough. So one thing that really stood out was like the creature design. Like you guys talked a little bit about it in the panel. I guess what was your process doing like the scientific research, like kind of the process of like creating like this planet and all these different creatures and plants and like. I mean, a big part of the show that Joe probably talked about was being inspired by nature documentaries and this idea that if you go, you know, in deep sea of the Marianas Trench, you're going to find creatures that basically should be on another planet. So there's really nothing you can make in a science fiction environment that doesn't feel like there's there's some kind of analog on planet Earth. So it's really, really a respectful kind of ode to the diversity of the Earth uh, and our effort to be as creative as evolutionary biology arguments Yeah, I remember years ago just going to Joe's house and we would watch nature documentaries all night and eat pizza <laughs> and it's I think something he's the creator that he's just always loved but also like you know for writing like I remember one day in the writer's room this giant tarantula hawk bug came in that was terrifying and inspired like the creature dreams I don't even know what else it is like just yeah imagination a little white black, white and black thing reminded me of like Lilo and Stitch, but like a He's freaky, cute, right? freaky yeah. little thing. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> when, I mean, I, we talk about what happens in the first episode, but when Cayman and, and that character's name is Hollow, we called him Hollow. Um, when they walk off together, I'm just, that's such an iconic image. It's this like lonely man, brainwashed by, I read somebody describe him as a monkey frog. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, so that storyline is one of my favorite storylines in the whole show, and it is so bizarre, and the internal logic of it is so well-crafted that you're brought along for this very bizarre relationship, and it's so plausible in a totally outlandish way. Um, yeah, I love the monkey frog. <laughs> <laughs> um, where was I going to ask? I had a question, I swear to God I did. Uh, I was asking, I'll, go, I was, I'll reiterate a question I asked them. It's it's uncommon more and more these days to see something with that's heady and, and that's contemplative as a show like this, especially in animation. Like, I, I, again, how did you get this kind of show on the air? Like, it's just like, wait, like, you, we could, like, this kind of heady stuff doesn't come really in Western animation. I would say, like, very little resistance by the time I think we came on from, you know, the network doing stuff like that. Like, our scripts didn't get many notes, our boards didn't get many notes. They were very supportive, very cool, and um, I think just believed in the project. You know? That's great. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Joe and Charles, their leadership on the project was always, we want to do something different, we want to do something that feels different. And if you ever erred into territory that felt like uh, tropey or it was giving like a, I don't know, it was turning a character into a cipher. It's like, now how do we make that character more of a human? And every time you do that, it's just how do you bring more subtlety and more layers and dimensionality to, to a human. Um, and I think when you demonstrate that, when you make an episode that does demonstrate it and you show it to a network and they see that it works, then they say, okay, you're off to the races, go for it, do, do, lean into it. 
it's great. Anybody else? How, how does the journey speak to you? How does the journey of the show speak to you? How does the journey of making a show like this speak to you? Well, I think of making the show, I think all of us had a similar experience that you just have to give yourself to it. It felt, it really did feel special when we all came together. It felt like it was kind of bubbling for a while, and then when the green light happened and we all get into the office, like, it felt like the right mixture and the right project, and that was unique, and that everybody could stretch their talents to places probably they haven't been able to before. Um, and, and I think when you're working on a project like that, you just want to give yourself to, I think everybody who worked on it, like, kind of completely gave themselves to this project for 80 weeks, you know, whatever the schedule was to make this, um, and that, it was a fun journey, but it, it becomes your life, and, you know, I think I've talked about scavengers with Benji probably more than I've, you know, talked to certain family members in the, in the past a couple of years or whatever, so. We were all trapped on our own planet Vesta for... For two years, and I, yeah. I, the, the challenge of making a show like this is so consuming. And the team we were working with was all over the world, and so it was a round-the-clock production. So I would go to sleep, and I'd wake up with messages in my inbox from the artists in uh, Portugal, uh, artists in India, um, artists in Korea, and so it just was constantly churning, and everybody was being pushed, pushing themselves, and being pushed by the other artists on the team. Um, and you go in feeling one way about the project and you leave completely changed, altered forever by the experience of working with these people. And it just echoed completely the story of the show. It's so, it's, when, it, when things in production like don't sync up, it's so frustrating because you're just like, okay, I guess we're getting through it. And it's just like, it becomes one of those. And it's like when, when things like mesh, where everybody's like feeding everybody else's in input, that's an amazing thing to happen, so I'm glad that happened. You feel very lucky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it really that was the sensation from day one to the wrap of the production was it's an exponential curve of mind melding. Like everybody mind melded so hardcore by the end of it that you could just kind of like be on Zoom and kind of wave your hands around as idea and the artist said, oh, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. But you're talking about like how the monkey frog is going to, you know, interact with a pile of goo and I don't know, then they come back with exactly what you had in your head. And what does a day like today mean to you? To get to show this show to the crowd, to get to talk about it, to get to see the reaction a little bit in advance of the premiere. We're on top of the world. Like, yeah, honestly, like it's really nice, and, and we've started to see reviews come in and reactions, and all that has been thrilling and fun. And, and, yeah, it feels really good. Yeah, I think when you make something that feels very different, and the process felt very different, um, you always wonder: Will that feeling, that odd feeling you had make, making it, uh, you know, blossom in the viewer's mind? And when you actually see the same process happening, when somebody watches it, just talking to you about it, it just is the most gratifying reward for the strange experience of producing. So when you get into making something, you lose perspective. Yeah. I'm sure you guys know. Like, you're like, is this good? Does it even make sense? Like, <laughs> sometimes you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. Then you're like, it doesn't even work. It doesn't even function. I don't know how people can watch it. Yeah. So. It's like it doesn't exist to other people observe it. Because yeah. it's just yeah. like, I don't know. It's probably awful. Like, that's right. how I get with things. It's yeah. just like, I don't know. It must be awful. It's like, oh. <laughs>
So now that it's getting unleashed and, and it does seem like people can follow the story at least like that, there's a big load off my mind. Yeah. What's the next step for you guys up to Where do you think this is going to bring you? Me and Benji are partners at a studio, uh, Green Street Pictures. Sean and Joe, yeah. With Sean and Joe, and we have a bunch of other projects happening. We have a, a, another show that Joe created right now. Benji is the supervising director on called. Well, maybe I can't talk about that, but we have other stuff going on. You were very close. You were very close. There's information online about it, but this is about scam. <laughs> the short. Oh, sorry. Nico. Uh, was there any kind of like, like, I guess, conflicts or challenges like switching from like Adult Swim to HBO Max? Like any constraints, or you had full creative freedom, like on anything you wanted to do. We had great feedback. Um, I think that I mean James can speak to what. The notes you got in the writing from it was always a positive experience. Super supportive yeah. and collaborative, and they brought tons of good ideas to it. Yeah, and it's always it's nice to have a very you know experienced soundboard when you're doing something like this to show the cuts of the episode and to get feedback that actually does improve the show. And, and never, and no, no part of it feel like um, we weren't getting a chance to make the show we wanted. It was more how do we make the show work even more successfully. It did feel risky though. Like uh, I don't know how many episodes you guys have seen. There's some strange turns that happen. <laughs> so like when handing in those scripts, it's like oh boy, I hope, uh, I hope this goes through. Well, Max would be the right like, place for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. The legacy of what Max has made. It felt like we were entering into a world where uh, sophisticated storytelling was uh, part and parcel of what they already do. So. You're gonna inspire. People. Do you want to do that? Do you want to yeah. inspire people with this show in terms of the storytelling, in terms of the tone? Even the theme song intro of the show Whoa. made me kind of do a double take a little bit. I go, all right, here's how we're getting into this. Yeah, I hope so. Interesting question. I mean, on a very basic level, I just hope people enjoy the show and like to watch it and it's entertaining to them. But I mean, if, if people feel inspired, that's amazing. Just on a drawing level, wanting young people to watch the show and see that I can make, you know, what's in my head come to life. And it can be absolutely anything. And to do it in a way that uh, has never been done before, or hopefully has never been done before. Um, now that would be the dream, is that some young kid watches it and wants to make their own version of this. Uh, and yeah, definitely want to inspire Take it from a short... Make it into yeah. a show. Yeah. Look at what yeah. look at what's happened. Yeah, exactly. Another good al people going to another planet movie. If you never saw it on the Silver Globe. Oh, cool. uh, okay. Me and Sean were just talking about that. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was just saying that I got on the Silver Globe vibes from that. You were saying uh, Raised by Wolves sort of has that vibe a little bit because of the Polish. Congratulations, guys. Thank you. So that's Thursday. That was my Thursday, just doing that. So Friday, John shows up. Hey, everybody. I found John from Zoning Out Podcast. He finally met up with me. Uh, John, we're in the press room. I'm trying to keep it. I don't want to like, draw attention to myself. And, it's but, kind of like a sexy voice you're using. Yeah, nice. yeah. I don't, I don't want to be the guy who's like loud and obnoxious, even mm -hmm. though that's what I play in real life. But, uh, so this is, so we had a tough time getting in. Mm -hmm. I was motherfuckering a lot mm -hmm. in my breath. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened was, they cleared, they, they, so there was an entrance meant for only exhibitors, but it wasn't mm -hmm. labeled as such. So a bunch of people, obviously, started conglomerating around that uh, entrance. Mm -hmm. So instead of just letting the people who were there in, and maybe just closing the door, like, you know, just, sure. just, you know, from here on out, 
okay, you guys were standing here for like, you know, 20 minutes. It's like, it's like no, you gotta move. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. and, they, and they knew that was the right call, but they, they had to like call, phone me. What do we do? What do we do? It's like, is the thing like accepting their badges? Then let them in. And then when it cools down, you know, like, nah, come on. Stuff mm -hmm. like that bugs me. Mm -hmm. Also, I've noticed. So we got our, I got, I didn't pick this up yesterday, but I got the Comic-Con, you know, uh, book they give you. It's a lot thinner this year than in years past. I do, I will say, the paper is a better, highly, quietly stock. No, it's not But it's like, was it 64 pages cover to cover? I mean, come on. What happened? What happened? Oh, that's what those guys were talking about. See, that, there's a thing for uh, Rennie Harlan. Because they were talking about, like, who's the director of Nightmare 4? And of course... What did I yell out from across the room? Oh. So there were a bunch of people in here yesterday, and they're like, yeah, we're doing it. He's like, he's like, I'm doing an interview for something, for the director of Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And I yelled out, and this is very embarrassing, because I yelled out, Randy Garland! Like, I always think I'm on a quiz show. And I yelled that out. <laughs> not only did the guy not respond, but the woman he was with looked at me, like, what is wrong with that man? As she should. Because I wasn't in part privy to that conversation. I shouldn't have been. But I decided I was going to yell because it was driving me crazy. Like, how do you not know Rennie Harlan's name off the top of your head? <laughs> I just wanted to help. I want people to know that I know stuff. If you listen yeah, to the interview, <laughs> it's like all my interviews boiled down to I know stuff. <laughs> Since I got here. You know I know that? Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a wild scene. So far, it's pretty, even though with that little kerfuffle in the beginning, it's pretty serene here. I got here a little late yesterday, a little later yesterday. Um, and this is my first time here. Yeah, so it's it's neat night. I took him on the floor where it wasn't still like a wall of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, he enjoyed that. Yeah. A lot of commerce. We saw, do we see? There's a musical for Death Note. There's a musical for Death Note. You know what was funny about that guy? He didn't seem very interested in being asked questions. Did you notice that? <laughs> After the first question, he looked so miserable. He was so palpable. He was so awkward. <laughs> it was so weird. Like, I'm he asking one follow-up question, and his face, just the rage in his face. Yeah, and I felt like I did something wrong, but it's like <laughs> the guy walked up to us, and I, was, I felt I was asking reasonable questions. You asked a question. <laughs> yeah, the guy's like, so we walk over to this thing. It's like, Death Note, the musical, and somebody representative comes over. <laughs> okay, so I thought I didn't imagine that. No, no. He was going to murder us. <laughs> So annoyed that I was asking him about. It. So he's like, "Hey, so yeah, definitely." I'm like, "Oh, it's a musical." So I asked him, "I'm like, it's interesting because you know, it, is this the first uh, musical based on a manga uh, anime to be brought over to the West? Was it made in the West?" I'm asking like what I think are reasonable. And he questions. was just annoyed that I was asking like, question those questions. It was very weird. I said, "Maybe I should interview this guy." Then I thought, "Maybe I shouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, there's going to be a panel tomorrow. I'm like, will you be there? <laughs> and I'm not coming. I'm going to be the moderator. <sighs> I guess I have to open it up to Q&A. <laughs> John, what did you think of Comic-Con? Oh, this is, this is John's first uh, go yeah, he, at He's never been there. So Ooh. he's a virgin. Ooh, and like, he, dude, he got thrown in like into the yeah, deep He got end. thrown to the wolves. Actually, it was good. He actually, let me tell you, if you press, you know what the worst part about New York Comic Con is? And you could say this too. Going? Oh. Well, yes. <laughs> looking for a place to sit. Now yeah. you have, if you're press, you have a nice little room with tons of power. Like each table has like a power strip that's like 10. Yeah. There's not 11 people huddled around an outlet that they found in the wall somewhere. No, no. The hallway. Dude, there's like a, it's a room with a bunch of tables with just like a giant power strip that goes across the entire table. 
That's awesome. And, and there's like tons of those. And yeah, you're not, and there's water. They're very nice. There's no reception. They got to really figure this out. It's 2023. You got to have reception. In and you're in Manhattan. Shop. You're in Manhattan. I mean, what what's the problem? Jesus, what are you guys doing? It's the cell coverage. Yeah, it's come on now. Not even, but, and then there's the Wi-Fi, which I understand would be spotty on a day like this. Cause I don't think there's a router on the planet that yeah. could handle like a hundred thousand people in like that right. close of proximity. So John Comic-Con, just the amount of people is just, it's hard to comprehend. And I've been going 11 years at this point, man and boy. My last year there was uh, the movie filming. Uh, Are you serious? You haven't been back since I haven't gone back since 20, was that 2016? Yeah, Holy shit. Yeah. This is a good well, point. I think that was like 2020. <laughs> Hey. No. Well, I put it out in 2021, mm. finally. That's why I think it's cool for us to do this, like, because it's like three fourths of us had made a movie about New York Comic Con. Ties in with that. Check that out, by the way. And now a word from our sponsors. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Uh, so our first interview was Goosebumps or Buffy? Buffy. It was Buffy. S- Slayers. Slayers. And I've actually gotten to listen to it. It's fucking great. Oh, on the Audible drama, right? Yeah, it's so good. If you're a Buffy fan, this is it. I'm saying this like genuinely, like cause I'm an audio drama snob and I got to hand it to and- Amber Benson and Christopher Golden, the direct, the writer directors that they avoided a lot of pitfalls that a lot of neophyte audio drama people do. The balance of information, because, you know, it's like when, especially if you're coming from film, it's just like, oh, how do I get this across this visual idea? And usually the fix is to have people be overly expository in their dialogue, or you could build a a good amount of sound to like really set the stage. So you understand what's happening. Uh, The sound mix is fucking stunning. Like they they really, it was funny. Charisma Carpenter, when we were talking to her was like, I didn't think it was going to be such a big deal. Like they weren't going to put like a lot of muscle behind this, but literally when you walk into Javits, the first thing you see is a giant banner for slayers. And it's like, Big, oh, cool. yeah, like they, they, this was like something they were really pushing hard. It's hmm. audible, which is awesome because that's, you know, there's a trickle down thing. It's like we're, we're big, you know, we're in the audio genre ourselves. So it's good when something like that happens. Yeah. So that interview. So the first people are up are Juliet Landau, who is Drusilla. And uh, I forget the, the girl plays Indira on the show. I can't remember her name. I'll put it here later. Indira, I said it, I even said the character's name wrong. I'm an asshole. Is played by Leia De Leon Hayes, and she's fantastic. Uh, I, she's like my new favorite character. Just wanted to clear that up. Thank you. Do you guys just come from signing? No. Oh. Oh. From signing? Oh, not today. No. Oh. Yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Good, good. Me and my friend John were just talking. We were huge fans of the movies Ed Wood, and we love your line: "No water, no liquids." He came up to me. I was getting a drink, and he said, "No water, no liquids." I'm and I actually didn't register. I thought, "Why are you saying that?" And he said, "Doesn't that?" And I was thinking, "That sounds familiar." And then he looked at me. He goes, "It's your dialogue." I said, "Oh my god!" Because he has a photographic memory. So it was the way I met Quentin Tarantino. That's amazing. 
how did you, when did you find out about this project and uh, how did you get involved with it? Can I start? Sure. Um, I about probably almost I'd say a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Actually, Amber and Chris reached out to me and said that they were interested in doing it, and would I be interested in coming and and coming to play? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to I'd love to come and play. So I think it was that far back. You're probably. Oh my gosh, it's a, it's interesting for me to hear all these answers to you today as well. I found out earlier this year, um, only a couple months ago, really. I think maybe a month before we started recording, I found out about the project. Um, and it really came randomly as like an email in my inbox. Um, and I didn't know too much about the Buffyverse, but I was looking at my email, I was like, of course I want to be a part of it. Um, and I was just grateful that Amber, Christopher, and Casey were so wonderful. Um, yeah, it's been a lovely journey thus far. <laughs> Did you have to audition, or was there, um, like, what was that process like? Yeah, it, I was very lucky because Casey had found me via another project that I had done. Um, so this is a straight offer, which was, like, a dream. You kind of, you wish and hope for those things as you're on this, like, ladder of getting better as an actor. Um, and so, again, it was, like, maybe even if I didn't know too much about the Buffyverse, it was just so exciting to get an opportunity like that. Um, and also as an actor too, you always wonder who's actually watching, and that's the truth, you never know who's looking at your stuff. Um, you never know who knows your name, even that Quentin Tarantino story, you know? Um, so yeah, this was like an extension of that. I met an actress yesterday who uh, did a movie from 10 years ago and then got a job 10 years later from someone seeing that movie and it was one of those things right. where it just randomly sort of came, came to me, so yeah, it's beautiful. You, you come from a voice acting background, you played uh, the little sisters I know on Bioshock and I'm curious if you think this is the way, you know, with the strike and all that going, uh, you know, voice acting roles, kind of that in-between thing. Well, I mean, I love, I have a huge theater background and obviously I've done a lot of film and television and uh, a lot of voiceover and yes, The Little Sisters is a really fun, fun character, but uh, uh, you know, it, it was uh, terrific that we could um, work at, during the strike and when, you know, we need to support what's going on because it's, you know, needs to happen. I think it's a very fine line, yeah, but, uh, of course what we're able to do and also supporting our union as well. Um, grateful to Audible and like this project specifically that we can like talk about it and like embrace it but also at the same time like Juliet was saying knowing also where we stand um, as actors and part of this act. So Juliet, you, you created yourself. Did you find that there was something new that you could bring or something that you wanted to infuse into Drusilla? in this new media, uh, just, just voice now that you're really just doing it with voice? It's a great question. I, the character of Drusilla is so rife with contradictions, and she's such a, a delicate character, but she's diabolical, she's childlike, but she's sensual, she's, um, you know, uh, ethereal, but she's very powerful. Um, and that's one of the things that I've loved about playing the characters, how much dimension and range there is in the role. I think in this particular material, it's interesting because Drusilla is not an appendage, she's not subservient to anyone, and she really drives a lot of the action. Um, 
and Drusilla has such a huge heart, and so she is really full of love, even though she's exceedingly damaged as, as well, obviously. Oh, yeah. Two minute warning. So, uh, a couple more questions. Last question. Josh is flew by. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your character plays such an integral role in introducing this universe to a new generation. Did you feel that responsibility as you headed into this project? What has it been like for you to be embraced by this community of fandom? It's meant everything to me. Um, I mean, want to be able to play a character like Indira because she really is representing the fans, you know? A lot of even her passion and fiery attitude is stemming from a place of just love for the entire world and the Buffyverse. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I felt the pressure, but definitely there were nerves before starting. And was, I've said it once, I'll say it again, Christopher, Amber, and Casey were so welcoming in the beginning. And it was just the cherry on top to kind of be able to witness how incredibly talented this cast is, um, but also that they were so open um, from the very beginning. Like you said, like your character is so many different ways. Like how do you warm up to the scene? Do you like do it at home? I, I mean, for, for me, um, I don't think so differently with voice acting, theater, or film. I mean, obviously, each medium is different and has its its craft and its technique. And obviously, if it's it's movies and it's a, a close up, is different than being on stage. But but really, the work that goes into it for me is very similar. And it's really about making a well-rounded character and grounding that character. So even though I'm playing a vampire, to me it's all the human elements that I'm interested in and that I that hopefully make her a relatable character and a character that you're pulling for even though she's the villain um, and that is likable even though she's doing some really nefarious things. So um, I think it's, it's for me it's always about being as prepped as possible so that then I can be free and spontaneous in the moment. Like you have fun with that right. Thank you. So we have to rotate. Thanks so much. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. It's like speed dating. So it's weird. Now, this is a round table, table interview. So it's essentially you're put into a room with a bunch of other press. And I want to take this opportunity. We met a lot of press. I met a lot of press and John met a lot of them too throughout this week, uh, weekend. All nice, charming, sweet people. Really nice people. Helpful uh, you know, just like always like a Kaibara pen. It's like, here, here you go. You know, I, I, I made friends with a lot of people there. Some people needed like, cause they couldn't like their video stuff, what they're in problems with their audio and their video. And I'm like, Oh, please, I'll send you my stuff. You know, you know, if you need it, you know, my big joke that weekend, is, it's like speed dating. Cause like they would come in pairs of two, then James Marsters and the guy who plays Clem. <laughs> All right. Now they're switching tables. Uh, there they come. And I get to do interviews with my buddy Jane. Love your name, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you too. Yeah. Is it confusing when somebody goes, so James? A little bit. <laughs> I always just default that I'm not the first one being called. <laughs> Is that some kind of angel they set up for you guys? No. 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 Just no. random? Just random. Yeah. All the girls wanted to sit in his lap. That was really the ears. Yeah. Oh, we can't talk about no, that. We can't. No, we can't. can't. That's the past. Yeah. James, you've done some of the... This James. We've done some, you've done the big fit stuff for Big Finish, the Torchwood stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you like doing audio drama? Yeah, I like it very much. Um, I was just saying, you know, as, a, as, a, as someone who does theater, in theater, your face is like that big and your eyes are that big and so your, your job is pretty much just hanging words in the air and all the information that you're conveying about your character is pretty much the words 
And so uh, I, you, you get a toolbox if you, if you do theater that you're very proud of having. It takes years to get this toolbox. And then you come to Hollywood and you're like, and put that in the closet. That doesn't work. <laughs> Don't use any of it. It doesn't work for film at all. Right. It's a different, completely different toolbox. And so going back and doing audio, I got to go back to the closet, take my toolbox out, and start hanging words in the air again. And so I, I love it. Yeah. 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 A lot. It was. Yeah. It's. Uh, for me, it's a lot more freeing because you know I was always told. That was great. Bring it way down. I'm like, this is as down as it goes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was, it was awesome to get to, you know, really just express and go crazy uh, with the lines uh, that we were graciously given by Chris and Ian. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about um, your first reactions to, you know, reading the scripts, hearing about the characters? Was there anything that you maybe had, to, for both of you, that you maybe had a say in and want, like, wanted to have? Oh, we had no say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, come on. See, do not ask an actor what they think should happen. I'll tell you what, what they will say. It will be some version of make me look cool. I Pretty swear much. to God. Mm -hmm. And that is only so interesting. And so they don't ask us, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question then. If it was in the best interest of a show for a character to die, but it was not in your best interest, well, would you uh, go for that if it, if it really completed the story? Yes, then... it is much better to have a smaller role in a very good story than a larger role in a boring one. Yeah. So, yeah, if it serves the story, yes. Yeah. Put me in a dress. I don't, you know, that's, that's the best choice. Been there. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's free. Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I got like a Kurt Cobain moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was Lucille Ball. Okay, yes. Yeah. You make good. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it was balls. Amber Benson put me in a dress, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Years yeah. ago, right? In Chance. Yeah. 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 Um, what was the I question forget, I was uh, answering? I had no, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was oh, something about... First reaction. Oh, first, first reaction. reaction. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, just, I was blown away. Totally blown away when I... Because I was like... I'm in so much of this. They were like, oh, would you like to come do this? Like, yeah, absolutely. Expecting a little bit. And I was like, whoa, I'm part of the Scoopy gang. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, I was so happy that we have a new Slayer. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the beginning of every episode of the original property, uh, we said that for every generation there's a new Slayer. And that's a promise we've never made good on. And now we are. Uh, and and I, I just think that that's where that's where the heart is is watching someone who is old enough to realize that the world is massively messed up who's making the decision to try to help out I think that's where the theme is and I, I'm, I'm glad they stuck with that so it's sort of you basically created these characters for the Buffyverse um, did you find that there was something new that you could bring to your character in this new media uh, of audio and audio story? Yeah, I felt that, like, you know, you got to see just more of what Clem is as part of a team. And uh, what I kind of always love is being the humor uh, and getting to do more of that, but also kind of getting to be a little bit of the heart. Mm -hmm. Sort of the the mascot of the team, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that was a lot of fun, just to not be relegated to some, you know, boring tasks, but to actually be part of the gang and and uh, be a part of the, the full fledged story. So yeah. it was awesome. And I was always interested in in what is who is Spike with a soul. Uh, you know, we we see him. We've seen him at the very beginning of that journey, and then not so much. And I always thought, well, how does 
how does he survive? How does he get lunch when he can't kill somebody for it? How can he get new clothes when he can't rob somebody for it? Uh, and and so what I love about the project is we fast forward to 2013, and he's had a little time to figure some things out. Uh, but he's still uh, he's still Spike. <laughs> he hasn't lost uh, his snark. He hasn't lost his uh, his fury. But but he's also got a soul, and it's and it's it's more ingrained in him. Um, and 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 what I love about the writing is they were able they're able to to put the new pieces in without losing all the cool stuff about the old the old stuff. It's not like suddenly it's like, how's everyone feeling? Does anyone want a glass of milk? And it's, no, no. This would be my life. That's cool. <laughs> okay. I loved uh, the the noir bo. I was like, ooh, I want to uh, spike me a Dashiell Hammett. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That was fun. Yeah. Time for one more question. Okay. It's also really rare in this medium that you have the opportunity to record as a cast. How did that environment help each of you elevate your performances? And were there any themes or dynamics that were more relevant that you didn't initially see when you read the script? That's a good question. And it, it, it really is so helpful to naturally react to what the other person is saying and doing. I remember there's a scene with Juliet and I where where Drusilla is trying to tempt Spike into coming over to her side, which may not be the best thing to do, and he still he still loves her on a certain level. And he is, he is there is a pull there. And just she started kind of half crying and I started half crying and it was really got really painful like that. And it was because she and I have a whole history together of all of these experiences in character and we didn't have to talk about it or even think about it it just kind of washed over us in an organic way and then the mics can kind of pick that up um, it's kind of my favorite moment in the whole series and that cannot happen if you're recording in isolation we actors will feed each other will inspire each other without even really realizing it and magic can happen but but that can't it you can kind of tell when people are doing it in isolation it it it, it there's it, always a little separated there you can tell yeah it was it was real it was amazing it was so much fun to have everybody there and even though you were in a isolation booth yeah. because you were I, I had a cold you were I didn't want to give it to but yeah. we could still see you you were it was like we were all so there so it, i felt it really brought it felt like doing a play like, right, it was right. like it was exactly. really great. So it was awesome. All right, great question. Yeah. Thank, Thank you guys so much. You. Take my little teams. Yes, I think we'll take our time. <laughs> right. Thank you. And then Amber Benson and Christopher Golden, director. My pussy bow is intact. <laughs> That's what it's called. Really? It is, right? Thank yes. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thinks I'm like just a pervert. <laughs> She's what? We never what? said you were just a pervert. <laughs> so much more. <laughs> Can you guys talk about, hi, by the way. Can you talk about the process of writing this? Because this is very different than, you know, a television script or even a novel or a comic. You know, it's an audio drama and it's a different medium. Um, what was that like? What was your approach? I mean, you want to... We, we were really lucky, actually, because years ago we did a, uh, an online anime series at the BBC called Ghosts of Albion that we wrote together and Amber directed. And, that Anthony um, Daniels is in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it, was, uh, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, but while we were doing that, we found out partway through the process that they were also going to want to play it on BBC Radio. 
And that was a trial by fire for us to even go back and look through the scripts we'd already written. Be like, and what would the experience it. of this be if you're only listening to it? So we had that sort of background already yeah. to be able to kind of get into it. But it was great. It was really fun. No, and we were really, really lucky. Our the, the people we were working with at Audible, Lydia and Meg, they're big fans, but they're also they know the audio world and so we would veer maybe a little too much to, to sort of like you needed more context and Lydia would be like no 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 we have to be able to hear it you need to let us know what's actually happening in an auditory way versus in a visual I know it looks on the script like it's gonna be easy um, and then the other I think really hard part was we have Leia De Leon Hayes who's incredible and she is our entree into this world and she you know not a fan of the info dump and it's always boring, but when you give all this information and you do it in a fun way, where she's a fan of this mythology, and you have her doing it, it makes all the, the info dumpy stuff awesome. So just, if you want to write an audio drama, make sure she's in it. <laughs> yeah. we, you know, it was a learning curve. But we, yeah. you know. uh, I'm a filmmaker who's uh, just recently, in the last year, moved over to producing audio uh, dramas. and. And my big takeaway from it is like, wow, this is so much easier and funner. Like, and easier in a way, there's less steps. Oh, yeah. There's just so many less steps. It's like I could put something that I wrote and it's more immediate to get it to, to take, like, farm to table much more yes. quicker. And how's that experience been, like, working on this? So much more accessible as of a creator. You get to do stuff, like, when you want to make a film or a television show, you really do, like, you have to have a lot of money and you have to have all these moving parts and it takes forever. And this, like, it's it's audio and you have your actors. And if you can just get those two things in there and then have Casey Wayland, who is also our co-director and producer, who did all of the sound design. He and his and team. His did. team, were, they were incredible. They did the Dolby Atmos version of it. They, we were in a Dolby Atmos stage mixing. Like, they were incredible. So you have that that department who steps up and posts. And it, it just, it's, a, it's a much more accessible medium. And I love it. Yeah. Especially if like you miss something, it's like, oh, we missed the line. It's yeah. like the end. It's like, okay, we had everybody here. It's just like you got to figure out this logistics. It's like, hey, can you go say that really quickly? Yeah. Yeah. It's so much better. It's so much yeah. better. <laughs> and the studio experience with everybody just there looking at each other. Recorded all together. Yeah. Do you ever refer back to old radio dramas? You know, I mean, it's kind of the night of the medium back then. I love... I, I, go ahead. No, I love old radio dramas. And actually, I participated in, uh, in L.A., there's this thing called the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Yes. Yeah. And they were doing all this amazing audio drama stuff. We had, there was a sound effects person and music and amazing actors. Yeah. Like, it was incredible. And uh, so... I, I just I've always loved the medium. I love listening to audiobooks. I love podcasts. I, I, I this is a world I like playing. I mean, for me, it's the immersion. Yeah. You know, the I, I mean, I love audiobooks, but to do a, an original series like this, um, it's Audible the total original immersion. You close your eyes. Layers. Yes. The audiobook <laughs> podcast. It's layers. A Buffyverse story. <laughs> um, but. The immersion of it and the ability to feel like you're there with these characters. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, every fan of this world would love to be there in the middle of these characters. And I really feel like this audio experience does that in a way that television can't. It's so intimate. You, you listen to a lot of head, headset, headphones. Um, it's like, you know, Spike is narrating the opening to you in your head. Like, he's right here whispering in your ear. And that's very intimate and, and it puts you as an, audience, as an audience member and listener into the drama. If you close your eyes, it's like it's happening around you. You could be in it, which you can't do with film TV. Film TV, you're, you're watching. You're not a participant. You can put together a breakfast. And the book verse is just full of amazing characters. How did you decide which characters to bring into this story? Two ways. Go ahead. Who can Amber call? Whose phone number did I have? Uh, and who, who did we love? Really, it's like these are all people I adore who I genuinely am happy to see when the, we're at a convention together. I'm like, hugs, real. Oh, I love you guys. And it's real. You know, it's not bullshit. It's actually like we care about each other. It's you know, For me, it's there, there are these personal relationships that Amber has, but that I also have. Most of these cast members I've known for a yeah. long time. Um, but then also, which characters did we feel like in our hearts? needed to be here who did we want to you know see take another bow give another opportunity yeah. to shine and and again like the best example for that is uh, is James Leary as Clem you know Clem is in eight episodes for a total of like hardly any minutes but everybody loved him including me and I've known him for a really long time and immediately I said we need this comic relief sidekick character to be in this story and it's got to be Clem because I know in my head how we can present him in a way that will make him beloved even more than he already has been so it's that sort of thing combined and then uh, not bringing him back but adding uh, Adira to the story was like, okay we have to have uh, a character who's going to bring us in, a young slayer who's going to bring us into this world, um, and uh, and and be a fan and, and, and share that fandom with the people who are listening. Um, and, yeah. and really, I just I also wanted to like do a, a quasi you know makeout scene with uh, Julia Landau. I mean, who doesn't want to like look across at this incredible like like consummate genius performer in a room and she's like I'm going to do naughty things to you it's a little hot a little um yeah. it made, honestly it made everybody in the room uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> we were all like no oh, this is just can no, you selfishly I wanted to work with her I wanted to work with charisma like these are people that I yeah. never making charisma the slayer was very important key for what we wanted to do from the beginning Round three. But Emma Caulfield and Charisma Carpenter, it was fucking fascinating because, you know, because here's the thing going in. A, you're not really allowed to talk about the show because it's struck work, it's considered. Because of the sag actress thing still going on. So we couldn't bring up the old show. We couldn't ask him about, like, how does this relate to, like, you know, like specific shows? Like, you know, does this relate to, like, this episode? The other thing, and nobody told us this, but I just assumed, like, talking about Joss Whedon's off the fucking table. Oh, yeah. And everybody was good about it. Everybody was, like, kept it on script. Everybody was very nice. Everybody was so cool. Oh, so wait, I got to tell you this part. So we're all this table now john has no business being there he wasn't signed up for it so he would just sit in this literally a round table there'd be a chair right behind me with john just sitting right behind me it was, it was like, like from step brothers yes. hello miss lady <laughs> shut your mouth pam pam well there's so in this room there's one person from every outlet just one but there was one outlet in this room where there's two people and there's two people Bloody and that second guy was, was me there was such been... a fraud 
There would have been three if I, if I came. Uh, <laughs> We'd have our own table. Oh, it was fucking great. So Emma Caulfield really wanted to, like, when you listen to it, you'll hear. Yeah, she wanted to go in. Oh, she was, she was doing everything. And then, like, a PR person was just standing there trying to be casual, but, like, kind of making like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, so whatever your name is. Isn't that close to what happened? Yes. It got like, a little tense. Uh, a little tense. It was great. It's all on camera. I got all of it. <laughs> Fantastic. Hi, hey, What's going on? It right there, I said, No way, I'm not going back. I don't want it. I'm, I am like, she's like, No, I know, I get it, but let me explain the angle. Let me, let me tell you what I'm doing. And she, she really only talked for like a couple of more minutes before I stopped and was like, No, I'm in, I'm in 100%. Like, I trust you completely. And I'm like, And I wouldn't do it for anybody else but you. Like, that's it. Like, you. You know, I had worked with her before, obviously, on the show, and then uh, she did a little independent film that uh, she cut me out of, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, was it Chance? It was it Chance, yeah. Uh, well, she didn't try to. It, it was like, the, it was, you know, gonzo filmmaking, and the scene, just the sound was wrong. Just no money to redo it. So it's like, I guess I'm not. Um, and I followed her as a writer for a while. I was like, you're just great, and I just really want your time to come. And I feel like she was a great person to bring this back to life and shine some light on some characters who uh, I will who do deserve justice and who were, um, I would say, treated. And look, this isn't this isn't me, you know, speaking. Like, this is only my point of view. I mean, I think it's a common point of view that a couple of us um, got, you know, our characters were treated like it was personal. I don't know if you, if you can understand what I'm saying. So, uh, to have it to come back and then be, be given a new space to create was just... Beautiful. What I do wrong? No, no, no. <laughs> I, no, I, I literally felt like you were about to interview. Yeah, I was oh, like, no. that, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, we're <laughs> dancing between what we can talk yeah, about, what we can versus now, and like yeah. our feelings around it. Means that we have to go backward, which is yeah. dicey. Like, are we allowed? To, how much yeah. can we say? So, I think maybe she was. I was listening. Yeah. Uh, 
So Amber called me. I was at the car dealership turning my car back in. It was in 2020. She said, we have this idea to uh, do what was not called Slayers, that is now Slayers. And I, w- I want you to be the Slayer. I want to see Cordelia slay. And I was like... Well, that's tempting. Um, But I, you know, I had some questions. I had, you know, concerns I was uh, vocal about. I mean, do you know me? (laughs) I'm pretty vocal. So we talked it through, and then, you know, but I wanted her to know anything that you do, I want to be a part of because I trust your vision. I trust you as an artist. I trust that you are a people person, that any set or production that you are in charge of will be humane and correct and full of integrity. So I appreciate that. But it's a bit traumatizing a bit to revisit this character and then what is the outcome? And, you know, I need more conversation. And she was like, okay. So we talked it through and, and I said, I want to do it. I, of course I want to do it. This sounds amazing. Audible, okay, I don't know what that's like. Or This is a new medium to me, but sure, let's try it. Let's have some fun. I had no idea that we were going to be embraced on such a, on this level, this magnitude, that we'd be in a press room like this over an Audible project. You know, I just thought it would be just this relegated little thing off to the side, but Audible has I shown up. Be you did? Yeah. Audible has shown up. I don't mean that like I knew it. <laughs> I knew it would be big like for the knew. fandom. Because the fandom. I knew it would be big for it. the fandom, but yeah. it didn't, you know, you can be a part of a project and not get the support of the studio. Oh, for sure. And so, yeah. not that they're the studio, but they are in this kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that it would be pushed and marketed and get the support it deserved, and I'm happy We're that so it happy. turned out that way. So can you- yeah, when you walk into the Jacob Javits, like, the first thing you see is the Slayer banners. Uh, was uh, James was talking about how him and... Uh, Juliet, like, were able to slip into their characters, like, for, like, after, like, such a long gap of time. How was that experience, like, getting back into these guys, for you guys? Uh, uh, well, first of all, I was going to say, watching those two slip back into their characters was absolutely, like, so fun. Heaven. Uh, I had I had joined the show when, you know, that was done, really, I think. In the timeline, third season. I don't, you know, third yeah. season, I don't think Trusilla was... Drusilla-ing around. And, I don't know. I don't know. A long time ago. But watching them uh, do their thing. Just, just, it was so, it was just so amazing. Uh, and it was it was a little difficult slipping back into Anya. It was just, uh, I had avoided her for a long time for all kinds of personal reasons. We all kind of, like, well, again, no need to begrudge or dive back into that garbage. But, um, uh, also, just like fi- just literally finding her her voice again, and then finding another voice, and then another voice, and doing them all. That like it took a minute, but once we got into it, it was eff- it was effortless. It was just fun all the time. Yeah, I, I struggled a little bit because I didn't know this iteration of, of Cordelia as a world weary slayer. I you know didn't know I didn't know how to balance pithy, snarky, bossy with world weary you know having that that knowledge that wartime knowledge carnage of war hadn't I've never I did in a way like 
I guess I guess Cordelia did when she became a higher being and when she got the vision, she knew what that was. But to be able to do that vocally and not rely on facial expressions or not rely on her outfit or heels or whatever, yeah. any of those things that I had used to affect a certain response or uh, performance were not used now. So it was it was challenging, but I hope you heard it and it works. So this is me asking for validation. <laughs> it was good. I'm sorry? Go to work in your sweats. <laughs> no hair and makeup. Yeah, I just, you know, I said this a minute ago. Uh, the work. I probably say it a little bit, uh, you know. I don't know, uh, <laughs> poetically now, but yeah, you can focus on the work and it isn't really, um, it's, it's just refreshing and I, I think there's a certain safety and not having it be about what you look like, ever. Uh, and, you know, I think for women especially, uh, you know, we are highly judged by our physical appearance and, you know, the shelf life, the, you know, do they still want to have sex with you, you know, are you still, you know, all that stuff. Um, you're like, well, we're so much more than that, so, you know, hopefully my voice turns you on, um, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be the face, it's not going to be the body. Sorry? Are you more perfectionist? Well, yeah, because you're hearing it, it's like, you know, you really you can want to really hear your voice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit neurotic, you know, in the sense of reliving and rethinking the performance of the day and like, oh, I could have done it that way. And then some days you hit it and you're in the zone and it's euphoric. And I think that that challenge as an actor is why you say do it and want to do it. And unfortunately, I haven't always been given the opportunity to be working because of my age, because of speaking out, because of, yeah. you know, those other things. So to be able to engage with the job that gives me the most joy, I would never be happy just being a mom. I want to be an actor. I love acting. It's my passion. So to be able to, you know, participate again, and you know, even though I say we're neurotic and we're like, you know, it's painful, that process is is so amazing when it works, and you're constantly chasing that. You know that you're yeah. that synergy and that moment, and you're working moment to moment, or when your peers at the end of a take go, "Oh my God, that was amazing!" And you're like, you know that those people you can trust are saying, "That's it. That was it. Oh my yeah. God, you blew me away." And you're well, like, you want to you. You, you, you do. Yeah, I do. Like, I want to yeah. know. Like, do that. Did that work? That blew. That that was horrible. Do it again. You're your worst critic. <laughs> you say yeah, that about yeah. everything. That's true. And it's not true. But yes, I love it. It's, it's getting really loud. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. Season two. Yes. What do you do more seasons? Yes. Wow. What do you do more seasons? That was my question. Anyway. What are we or will we? Do we want? Do you want? We would. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 100%. If we could do two at once. Oh, yeah. yeah. Back to back. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like every quarter, do a season. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. As we're leaving, Juliet comes up to me and says, "Here, come to my screening tonight." She just made a movie with her husband. I'll talk to you about that later because there's a lot that goes on with that. So. This oh, you is... went? Oh yeah. But let me just get to oh, the next. We went.
Oh, we went. Right. <laughs> Should mention, I don't know if we did we say it already that Juliet Landau is Martin Landau's daughter. Okay, thank you, John. Thanks for that. You did, you did not say that. I didn't. I did you know that, Chris? I did not know that. that. Okay, great. This is how dumb we are, Chris. All of us, all three of us are stupid people. Her name's Juliet Landau. Landau. And she's in the movie. Ed Wood. Ed Wood with Martin Landau, Martin. who won an Oscar, his most <laughs> famous role. And none of us put it together. Nobody no. put it together. Some lady. Some you quoted to her her favorite part is Ed Wood. <laughs> and I don't know that. And, and somebody, no, it was somebody, somebody said it in the. Well, uh, there's like an outlet next to me. She's like, oh, yeah, her dad, Martin. I'm like, wait a second. No, you shit. need to tell me. Well, <laughs> I'm like a beautiful did. mind. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Craziness. Oh, oh, oh wait. <laughs> oh, so that's my that's how I start my day learning that. So then we go over to the Goosebumps roundtable and that's with all the creators of the show. And that's great. And now John snuck in again. He's just like he's right next to me. OK, got it. So me and John just did our first uh, roundtable interview together. John kind of had no... I've never felt like such a fraud in my entire life. <laughs> it's wonderful. I keep waiting to be kicked out. I'm, I'm full of anxiety. <laughs> this is nerve-wracking. They're going to toss me out at some point. I don't know when. It's going to happen. It's like, you know, I have imposter syndrome, but in your case, imposter is real. But, yeah, we got some heat in that last one. Yeah. I'm going to throw some heat. And now a word from our sponsors. But he winds up sitting next to Nick Stoller, the director of the Muppets. Ah, uh, the the Muppets. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Get him to the Greek. These are some of our favorite movies. And right beforehand, me and John were talking. I said, I want to ask him about something about Get Him to the Greek. What am I gonna do? Because I don't. I I know they don't like that. But I got him as soon as he sat down. I'm like Nick. Okay, John. I got him. Thank, thank you guys for doing this today, Nick. Okay, I got him. I got to ask him a question. I'm, I'm He's a, been waiting. I've been waiting. Oh, we talked about this before. Uh, there's a moment that in Get Him to the Greek. Okay. <laughs> that is one of my favorite. I always wanted to ask as a director how you got this perfect moment okay. from, from Ellie Kemper. Uh, Ellie Kemper is uh, listening to Chocolate Daddy's music. Oh, yeah. And she does this amazing head bob that, <laughs> uh, that really says like a paragraph of dialogue yeah. in like wordlessly and I just want to know how you came to that moment quickly I know it's not about that oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny uh, I mean we shot that scene for a day and a half like we shot so like that seek that scene which takes probably four minutes of the movie was like so much and we had all these like crazy heavy hitters in comedy like they've all become gone it's you know and she I don't think I don't think Ellie Kemper has any lines in the movie which is like she had a lot of funny stuff she said but she just said a lot of funny stuff and it totally created an entire character uh, and so by the time that head bob happened she had, it was built on a character that she had created um, and a whole thing that and I just didn't have room for room for all of the dialogue in the movie and so I kept trimming it down and then we were like oh this reaction is so funny but it was built on a whole thing that she had created right because it's just it communicates every, everything she is yeah. and how she's reacting to this music it, she, played, she created basically a goody two shoes kiss ass yeah, character exactly. that was so funny yeah, and like and like that yeah and so she so it was all built and then that head bob was part of it and so all i think right. it, yeah thank you it's been a long time i've been i've been wondering about that okay <laughs> well i kind of to kind of dovetail into that i kind of asked um, with the last guys um, when casting this uh, show did you find that once you got the cast, you went back to the character and maybe redeveloped or added some developments to the character? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, well, I think we all do that 
naturally in whatever we're, we're doing. That's just sort of the best way to go about it is once you once you go through the casting process, which was very intensive, and we, we got amazing, an amazing cast. Um, and then, you know, they bring their own personalities to it, and we, we talk through the characters with them, and then that informs the writing process going forward, and, you know, finding the natural relationships just, you know, when we, when we observe them off screen and get to know them, uh, we can start to bake that stuff into the, into the story. How hard was it, like, finding, like, the chem like, finding a cast that has this kind of chemistry? Well, you know, one of the things I always say is you can't predict, no matter how many chemistry reads, you know, you do with people, you can never predict whether or not they were going to get along. And we were so lucky that, you know, these actors became friends, you know, offset, you know, and, and really close friends, you know, being shooting up in Vancouver and them hanging out all the time. It was kind of like a summer camp vibe. And it was just amazing because that really translates to the screen. And when you watch all the episodes, you really feel that grow um, as the characters become a group in the show and become a group in real life and you just can never ever predict that yeah i also say too that i always try to learn from each project that i do and it was disney casting is is incredible at kids obviously <laughs> and so it was like a really Zendaya. yeah yeah i mean it's like the list of people it's like everyone who's famous yeah. went through disney casting so so that was very um uh, instructive and informative working with them and also we had amazing casting directors of genie and nicole and so there's a there's a lot of people involved and obviously the adult characters too are great like justin long and all these you know Oh, yeah. um, how familiar were you guys with Goosebumps before getting involved with the project and what did you want to bring to this show? Uh, okay, well, um, you know, uh, slightly older than the, the, the original Goosebumps reader, uh, um, but, you know, I have kids and yeah. I read it to them. Uh, and then I did the movie, so that was sort of really my deep dive into Goosebumps and reading everything, getting to meet R.L. Stein, um, being able to call him Bob. That was a, that was a, big, that was a big moment. Jovial Bob Stein. That's Bob, he... Yeah, Bob Stein. Uh, and uh, so, you know, that kind of fell in love with that. And it's such an amazing sandbox to play in because um, he, write, he wrote those books in a way that didn't pander down to right. young readers, yeah. which is fantastic and I, I think a large part of the success of the, of the book series um, and uh, you know took that to heart in what we were doing and tried to translate that and, and age it up for this show and embrace all of it. Yeah, you know, I, I was too old to read Goosebumps and read it anyway, <laughs> because um, I just loved, like, I loved reading scary stuff as a kid, and I think that there's something just so unique and special about Goosebumps, you know, they're, you know, as, as a kid, you're, it's almost like something you feel like you're not supposed to be reading, and I think that we really wanted that to have the feeling in the series, too, that it's, like, almost like something you're not supposed to be watching, it's a little scary, it's a little wrong, you know, and that's always the best part about sneaking down to watch a horror movie when your parents aren't, aren't looking, and so I think that we kind of achieved having a little bit of that vibe in the show. Did you know instinctively how to start the series, like going in, or did you feel like you had to kind of break it up? Because there's so many ways you can kind of dive in. I mean, we knew when we started doing it that we needed to be serialized. We didn't want to do an anthology because that had been done before. Um, and so that kind of started it. And then we, from the, from the beginning, we were like, we want the first five episodes to 
uh, be a di an origin story of a different kid uh, using one of his books. So that was, and so we started to figure out. We did have this idea that the first five episodes would all be built around the same party, and Disney was like, this is very boring. <laughs> and so we were like, oh, you're right, this is very boring, so we changed that aspect of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they were right on that one. They were right. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any like uh, little Easter eggs or homages to the books in the, uh, I know that in the first five episodes, like just one, oh. one little Easter egg that you, that you just love that you got in there. There's Easter eggs throughout the entire season yeah. of the show, yeah. uh, and to tell you them would spoil it. Um, the biggest Easter egg ended up on the poster, which is slappy. <laughs> that was never meant to be like, uh, you know, uh, face forward. But um, how can you avoid it? Slappy's so identifiable. Goosebumps. But yeah, uh, every episode for Goosebumps fans, if they, they keep a close look on it, we'll find a lot of stuff. We time for one more question. I'm always curious, because this is like a balance of tones, right? You want to hit that perfect fun spot where it's like scary, but it's funny, and different people can watch it. Do you have kind of like a playlist of movies or shows or music, something where it's like, okay, this is this is the beat right here. We have to keep this beat for this series. How do you kind of stay in that headspace so you never go too scared, too goofy? Like you want to hit that spot. Um, I mean, it's just David Cronenberg, really. <laughs> video drum. Yeah, it's just video drum on repeat, right? Yeah, that's like yeah, fun, right? Totally. Fun. That's fun. Yeah, family friendly. Like scanners. Uh, My dad took me to say. when heads explode. Uh, yeah, right. That's what we're talking about. Totally fun family. My dad took me to see Dead Ringers when I was seven, and that that wasn't a, wasn't a good. Hit. No, it's not. Good. I mean, I mean, yeah, Dead, Dead Ringers. Dead Ringers. <laughs> I talked about it a lot in our last interview. Uh, the, um, uh, I mean, it's a tone that like. You know, I think we we just speak fluently. There's not really, you know, I think that, like, I don't think anything that... There isn't anything that's... Like, comedy is just a part of anything to me that's honest, you know? And even something like The Shining is hysterical. It's oh it's so funny. We've just had so many yeah. conversations yeah. about it. Yeah. You know, I just rewatched. I mean, this is not a horror movie. I just rewatched Barry Lyndon, and that is so funny. Yeah. And also really dramatic. And also, you know, and so and same with The Shining. Same with... So, so I don't think you can... When something is just dead serious, I... Part of me always calls a little bit of BS on it because I just think life is funny, you know, and dark and sad and happy and all these things. And so we just we try to just be honest, you know, with what we're doing and that that you know. And then yeah, and that's really that's I don't know. I mean, you really hit that tone with the first film. The first the films are like I love the like the tonal balance. Like I'm a, way too old to be watching them, I think. But I enjoy. I was like I was telling everybody, Goosebumps is great. Like these movies are fun, man. So I'm, uh, and I'm glad you it's continuing on in this show. Thank you. Yeah. That was great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dude, we such... Dude, we... Forgetting Sarah Marshall and getting to the Greek are the two of our favorite comedies ever that we quote constantly. Like, so thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. I know. I love that movie, too. And so I asked... Since I got you here. Since I got you here to Nick Stoller. Since I got you here to Nick Stoller. Oh, my God. How? How could you do that to somebody else who's not one of us? <laughs> I did it. I do it to anybody. <laughs> well, since I got you, what do you mean? We're here? <laughs> so thank you yeah, very much, that, everybody. Cut that, cut that. Yeah, this is all getting cut now. We slip into a room and you two split me open like a coconut. That was the Zoning Out New York Comic Con 2023 Spectacular. Hope you enjoyed that. Slacker! Not great, Bob! Did you used to be a piece of shit? Oh, yeah.
Who is it? Open the door, Hampop. Ow. I get it. I'm Fauna. I'm Flora. Adios, turd nuggets.